This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how you doing today? I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. But honestly, it's a little bittersweet for me today. We are, as we record this, almost at the end of Black History Month. So yeah. I'm kind of sad about that, which obviously, you know, you don't need to only be in February to celebrate Black History. We're going to do this 365, no doubt. But I've enjoyed having a month or so to to just have a laser-like focus on this and, and more public attention. So it's been a fun month. It has passed so quickly and kind of sad it's coming to a close um, and got to wait around till 2018. Well, if you want to continue getting Black History Nuggets from the future, Dr. Jamar Tisby, you have to follow <laughs> him at Jamar Tisby on Twitter. Now, I always say you follow me at your own risk because, you know, I'm just silly. So I'm going to be getting <laughs> The cultural commentary. Now, occasionally I'll slip in some serious, but it's still going to kind of be have a silly twist to it. But Jamar is always dropping serious jewels. So you have to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> Jamar, you got some more posts coming for us, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. It never stops with me. I don't know what you're going to get. Just depends on the mood, but you can follow at Jamar Tisby and see what's what. Absolutely. Now, we also want you guys to follow our friends, our sisters, a podcast that we yes. are looking forward to yes. that is going to get you through 2017, 2018. <laughs> They're going to be going until 2040. We're talking about Truth's Table, y'all. Ooh, we told y'all something crazy was coming. Did Jamar, did I not tell them? Yeah, but they're not ready. I told them. Yeah, so. but they're, they're not, not ready. ready. <laughs> they still not ready. Even after we prepared them, we prepared them for weeks, for months. We told y'all something crazy was coming down yes. the pipe, and it is Truth's Table. Three black Christian women who are on fire, ready to drop bombs. Right, Jamar? I can't tell you how excited I am about this, man. Coming March 2017, and all three ladies are friends of the show, Akemini Uwan, Michelle Higgins, and Dr. Christina Edmondson. Like you said, just so intelligent, so insightful. I have no doubt they're going to be dropping truth bombs all over the table every episode, and I'm not sure anybody's ready. But 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 on another level, man, I'm so excited that that. You know, we get three black yes. Christian women on a podcast and their voices, they get to amplify their voices because because we honestly need to hear their perspectives. And so I think it's going to be huge for the church and for all the listeners. Absolutely. So this is not just a podcast for women. This is a podcast that is a contribution to the entire body of Christ. So I want everybody to go. Follow Truth Table right now on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Stay up to date. Coming very, very soon. You're going to get episodes. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Satchel, wherever podcasts are played. Also, be sure to download, share all their podcasts, 
And you never know, there might be a PTM truce table crossover coming soon. I was we not gonna say, man. I was gonna say, wouldn't it be we great if we could hear that's from coming? <laughs> we not gonna tell y'all when that's coming. We just gonna tell y'all it's coming. Okay, yeah. you gotta be yeah. ever ready. Be ye ever ready for the PTM <laughs> truce table crossover. I'm so excited for that. That's gonna be. I think that might be a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's gonna be way too much. I'm telling you, these ladies are so organized. They're already leaving us in the dust. They got episodes like pre-recorded. They've got uh, photographers photo set up to do a photo shoot. We ain't got What's no with the hair shot? Well, we we don't look as good. So you know, we, <laughs> well, I'll speak for me. I got a voice for podcast or, or a face for podcasting. How about Yo. that? anyway anyway we are so excited about truce table follow them ladies cheers to your blessings on your future endeavor okay so jamar black history month as we were talking about earlier has come to a close cue the depressing music (laughs) but that's 28 days of unbridled blackness it's come to an end sadly but The reality is, as you were mentioning, we can celebrate black history throughout the entire year. So what we wanted to do is just kind of take a step back and talk about some of the things that we've been experiencing throughout the past month that have been encouraging us, that have given us strength to move forward throughout the year 2017 to push through um, and, and over the hump from a crazy 2016. And so these are just some of the things that we've experienced personally. It's not really like an ordered or numbered list, but you can take notes. We've been hearing from people that we our book suggestions have been messing with your bank account. So we got some more book suggestions for y'all. <laughs> some more things you're going to go have to buy and, and put inside your library. But anyway, so these are just some things that are getting us through 2017 have gotten us through Black History Month this year. So, Jamar, go ahead. What's the first thing on your list? Yeah, so mine are are sort of a mix of reflections and then, you know, specific cultural artifacts artifacts, if you will. And so my first one is 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 just sort of a personal reflection. This is the first Black History Month that I've gone through as a full-time doctoral student in history. And I'm specifically studying race and religion. So I was thrilled this month to be able to share because I'll tell you what, I mean, every book I read, every every seminar discussion that we have, every lecture I go to, I'm just like, bursting just thinking of our past the mic crowd and like oh my gosh this would be so much fun to share but there's too much and there's not always the occasion so it was it was just fun to for me to be able to to share some of that stuff and I did that mainly through um social media I posted almost quote unquote you know almost daily um a, a little black history fact, whether it was about an individual or a specific event, a court case. And I got a lot of good feedback from that. People who were grateful um, just to, to learn some things they didn't know. And I, like me, I'm just I'm just like a, a little kid when I learn about all this stuff. I get so excited and I just want to tell other people about it. So if you want to access that stuff, you can go to my Twitter feed. I've got uh, something pinned to the top right now on Black History, and you can just follow that thread, or you can go to Facebook and uh, my Facebook page, and, and there's uh, almost daily posts there as well. Yeah, those you? posts have been really helpful for me. They've really clarified some things for me. They've given me a different perspective. They've given me some historical tidbits that I was unaware of previously. And so this is really a service. You know, I think one of the things that we say a lot is that we don't have the burden of educating our white brothers and sisters on black history and on 
racial issues or justice issues. But the reality of the matter is if we're not using our platform in some way, shape or form to push the positivity that we want to see in the world, then we can't complain. We have to use our our platform in some way, shape or form to push the things that matter. And, and I'm so glad that you've been doing that, Jamar, because I believe that if people go and look at Facebook, look at Twitter, they'll find some things that they did not know before. So that's a really, really good one for them to check out. Now, on my end, it's a documentary and it's called Eyes on the Prize. Now, it's a documentary that came out in the 90s, I believe. Now, I'm ashamed to say I've never seen this documentary before this month. It's funny. I was was actually talking to Akemini about this and it was in a group chat context and she was talking. It was hilarious. She was like, yeah, I haven't seen that since elementary school. I'm like, elementary school? Like, you <laughs> elementary? Like, it's crazy. So, you know, for me, I'm just getting woke. And she's been woke since elementary. So whatever woke <laughs> means, which we still got to talk about. But my wife and I have been watching these episodes and have been utterly floored at the video footage of the civil rights movement, the key leaders from Dr. King to Medgar Evers to James Meredith. And I've listened to these stories that I've never heard before. And I've seen interviews that I never even knew existed. And Mm. it's embarrassing, but it's a really a must watch documentary. You know, the the document that really got me was African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Now that one, I believe is like kind of like the sequel to Eyes on the Prize. But Mm. I've been watching Eyes on the Prize on on Amazon Prime. It was just $10 to get the entire uh, collection of episodes. And it was it has been overwhelming for me. I've watched and rewatched episodes. And when you see it, it's one thing to hear about it and read it. It's another thing to hear people talk about it. But when you can see the footage, Jamar, yeah. it is unbelievable. I'll, I'll never forget that the the group of students who were the first to integrate in, I believe it was Mississippi, they were talking about integration. And then they were talking about all the things that they face as high school students. And one of them was telling, she was telling the story of how when they were facing this ranker, this angry ranker from the white crowd mm-hmm. that someone had mentioned to her and, and her or actually had mentioned to the police officer and had, had, she had overheard it. And I can't even believe that this was the case, but she said, well, if you, if they give, if they give us one to hang, then we'll let the others go. Uh-uh. And I was blown away, bro. Whoa. Like how she said it just so casually, and she said that's just how it was. That's just how and it was. It's unbelievable to think about that, but it also gives us great joy and pride at the progress that we have made, even the limited progress that we have made. And it really cements in our heart that we got to keep moving for the future. Man, no doubt. And I'll also mention that there is a written anthology based on Eyes on the Prize. And it has some of the documents, some of the speeches, some of the quotes. And I would definitely recommend that to people. And you can buy it used on Amazon for, you know, 10 bucks or less. So uh, don't have to get the new version, but the it's, it's, it's just the written version of everything you talked about. Mm-hmm. We need to pass a mic donation like bookstore so that people can just <laughs> check this stuff out, put it back in. That's actually a good idea. So if someone wants to take that on, you know, you know, hey, listen, you be doing a service to the people. You be doing a service to international <laughs> audience of people who are who are trying to save some money, but at the same time, get all these resources that we talking about. Word. Jamar, what's your second one? OK, so the second one is about Emmett Till. 
And the the for folks who don't know or just need to be reminded, Emmett Till was 14 years old when he was lynched in Mississippi. He was coming. He was down from Chicago visiting some relatives. He supposedly um, wolf whistled or cat called to a white woman, um, flirted with her, which obviously crosses all kinds of racial taboos and Jim Crow and everything. And so uh, a couple days later, uh, the, the woman's husband and uh, the, the, the husband's brother-in-law, they, he, they come to the, his house where he's staying. They, they take him out of the house, kidnap him, beat him severely, gouge out his eye, shoot him in the head, and then tie a cotton gin fan, 75-pound cotton gin fan to him using barbed wire and throw him in the river. Well, his body was discovered a few days later, and then his mother, uh, Mamie Till Mobley, made the fateful decision not to do a closed casket. So she had an open casket at the funeral. The pictures end up on the cover of Jet magazine of his mutilated face, and it sparks national, even international outcry, and is viewed by many historians as one of the, the biggest factors in sparking the civil rights movement of the 20th century. So there's all of that, which we need to remember um, for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which are the parallels that some make to his death and the death of Trayvon Martin, which I'll talk about in a little bit too. But on top of that, some new information came out not long ago. And so there's this historian named Tim... Well, you know, man, this was oh, this blew my mind. Okay, so so Timothy B. Tyson is a historian, and he gets to write the biography of Carolyn Bryant, the woman whom Emmett Till supposedly flirted with. And so he interviews Carolyn Bryant in the 2000s. So this is 50 plus years after the event. Um, the 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 two men who killed Emmett Till, they were put on trial and they were acquitted. And they later admitted for Life magazine that they did it. So so there's no doubt they did it. But because it was an all-white jury in the Jim Crow South, they got off. And it was supposedly on this woman Carolyn's Bryant testimony that, that Till had grabbed her around the waist, wolf whistled, was flirting. And then she comes out 50 years later and she says, quote, that part's not true. I want to tell you, honestly, I just don't remember. It was 50 years ago. You tell these stories for so long that they seem true, but that part's not true. And she goes on to say that boy did nothing to deserve to be murdered. Bro. I I can't, man. <laughs> Bro. Really? I mean, like, this yeah. this man This is genuinely how I feel. Like I'm I'm genuinely speechless. I was speechless when I read this weeks ago, and I'm speechless now. I just, I can't. It's if devastating. Not for, if not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much bitterness would we have? How exactly. much anger would we possess? I mean, and still, there is a righteous anger to have. This isn't just all, you know, peaches and cream. We're not just sitting here, you know, happy-go-lucky talking about this. But it is it is nothing but the grace of God that recognizes our own depravity that even gives us the mental capacity to think about the idea of possibly forgiving this Man. woman who has done this heinous act to who lied and cost this young boy his life man it's just i mean man look look that that i mean what you're saying is like 
for people of African descent in this country, if you did not have faith in a God of justice, you had no hope for justice on this earth because Till was already dead. The only thing that that anybody could hope for, his mother, his relatives, his friends, was that the perpetrators would be punished on this earth. But they weren't. They were let off scot-free in spite of an admission. And now, as we find out, in spite of the lie of the main um, supposed victim. And if you don't have faith in a transcendent God who will ultimately judge justly, then there's no hope. I mean, what do you do about that situation? All, like you said, all you can do is descend into bitterness, perhaps perhaps retaliation or hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But praise God that, that, that he will judge justly and that if we have believed in Jesus Christ, he will show mercy for the judgment that we deserve. But yeah. without that, wow. And I don't mean to like Jesus juke this situation because it's, it's heinous. Like, I don't want anybody to misconstrue this as you know, some sort of over-spiritualization of what happened. But just to be honest, I have to say that because I have to remember what I believe in situations like this. Thinking about Tamir Rice, thinking about Walter Scott, thinking about Eric Garner, thinking about Mike Brown, thinking about Trayvon Martin. I have to quote the gospel. If I don't quote the gospel, I'm going to descend into anger and bitterness and hatred because of all the things that people have have experienced and that we've seen that have happened even in our lifetime That's and then continuing back to, to have the audacity to mention this yeah to brazenly say it didn't happen he didn't do anything wrong i mean if not for christ they, this is why we are part of the reformed african-american network because we believe in this hope injustice in spite of the the systemic wrongs and and and, and failures of this country to dignify black bodies This is where it gets real, man. I mean, it is not to spiritualize the issue to say that we put our faith in God who will judge ultimately everyone. It is not to spiritualize the situation. It is, in fact, to diffuse the situation because Mm -hmm. the, the level of anger and outrage is justifiably so high that 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 we being sinful and fallen beings in our anger are liable to sin. And the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. And so the only way I know how to process this, because I was outraged when I read this, I said, I said, of all the the things that could come out, the key testimony of 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 the supposed victim was proven to 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 be false or at the very least exaggerated. And these men got off scot-free. And got fame and, and, cl- and claps on the back for maintaining a racial caste system. Where's the justice in that? And but God, he's the only one who can bring justice out of that. And, 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 and how do you, you, you multiply, this is only the cases that we've heard about, bro. Yeah, bro. There are thousands of cases we've never heard about. We'll never hear about. Exactly. So Man. look. You were it, preaching there, Jamar. You right, brother. Man. So it's a time reminder, man. Man, we should have just ended with that. That's just bro. That's, <laughs> Sorry about that. I wanted to I wanted to get that in before we had so uh, that we had some time and didn't have to squeeze it in. But yeah, that was a major, major black history moment this year. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my next one, speaking of preaching, it is a book. It is the introduction 
to the Practice of African-American Preaching by Dr. Frank A. Thomas. Now, Dr. Frank A. Thomas is such a gift to the body of Christ. If you don't follow him, you should. He is one of the homiletics professors at the Christian Theological Seminary, and he is the founder of the first ever PhD program in African-American preaching and Mm. sacred rhetoric, which, which is an absolute landmark achievement in and of itself. Now, you may not be able to go up to CTS and get that degree, but if you're curious about what do we mean when we say black preaching, get this book. It is a must read resource. Now, Jamar, as you know, black preaching in the black church is some of my favorite subjects to talk about. At some point soon, I'm definitely going to start a podcast dedicated solely to the art and craft of black preaching. It's coming one of these days. I just need about five more hours in the day and one extra day a week (laughs) if I can do it. (laughs) So pray that that comes, but that's just how much I love it and, and believe in it and practice it. But there were some resources that Dr. Dr. Thomas mentions in this book that I've never heard before. I've never read before. I'd never heard mentioned before. Give us a taste. Give us a sample. Oh man, there's so many. So there's, there's, there's actual books and manuals on, the art and the practice of intonation or hooping, as we know. It is the musical end to the black church sermon. So a lot of people would think that that some of black preaching is this emotional hype, but it's really, it talks about the the mirroring between the chant of the sermon, the intonation of the sermon, and the chant of the Negro spiritual in the cotton fields, how those connected Mm. and how the black folk religion was transmitted to the people. It's, It's just... It's amazing. And it's definitely something that you have to pick up if you care about black preaching or if you want to know more about it. Now, Dr. Thomas has a Big Ten approach to preaching, Big Ten approach to theology. So it's not coming from this decidedly reformed perspective, but it is a Christian perspective. And that is what's most important. So the introduction to the practice of African-American preaching. And for me, a preaching nut, Someone who's preparing for a sermon this Sunday, (laughs) I love this type of stuff. And it really helps to root me in a broader tradition of preachers that go all the way back to the founding of this country. And that's that's a heritage to be proud of. I'm going to cast my first vote that uh, anytime Tyler preaches, we got to post that on past the mic and and ran yeah so 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 so, so the people can be blessed by by your by the preaching of this brother here you being funny now i don't hoop okay so i don't i don't do the intonation that's just not how i get down i was not gifted with that ability but you know who knows it may come one day you can keep the card man we nobody's gonna revoke the card for that Jamar, what's next on your list, man? Um, man, just just real quick. This one was actually right at the end of Black History Month. Henry Louis Gates Jr., whose documentary we always already mentioned, um, African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross, he's got a new one out called Africa's yeah. Great Civilizations. Yeah. So Isn't that the, crazy? the continent of Africa. So we're going back across the Atlantic, y'all. And, um, and and it just came out, so I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I know it's going to be good tracing uh, roots all the way back to the continent of Africa. And so that's another great find for Black History Month. It's through PBS. You should be able to find it online, maybe even stream it for free, but definitely check out that work. Yeah, it also talks about kind of the origins of the Ethiopian church as well and how the Ethiopian church had, there was it was present, Christianity was present in Africa 
far before, you know, the slave trade. So that's, that's also some good little apologetics work um, that can be gained from that. Someone actually posted a clip of that in the Private Pastor Mike Facebook group. So again, if you're not a part of the Private Pastor Mike Facebook group, you're missing out on all these little clips and resources. <laughs> We've already had an extensive conversation about it. So you need to be a part of that. And that's a side note, but that sounds like an awesome resource, Jamar. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've got a couple other ones, but what you got next? Okay. So my next one, I've just only got two more. Uh, my next one though, is, a, is another book. It's called Black Man's Religion by Glenn Usri. Now this is a book that, uh, or Usri, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, but this is a book that that is way back, <laughs> it's way back when. And it's monumental though. It's something that I discovered from hearing people talk about resources that are helpful on the front of this particular very important larger general topic, black apologetics. Now there are mm. a lot of different approaches to approaches today to the idea of black apologetics and apologetics in general. And it's important to understand that apologetics is not just an intellectual exercise, right? It's it, we do thank God for those who engage in that that form of argumentation and debate because it is necessary to step into that academic sphere and contend for the faith. It is absolutely necessary to do that. But we are, as, as Andy Crouch would say, heart, mind, body, soul complexes. You know, mm -hmm. And sometimes the principles of debate that we use in a formal academic setting are not the same that you would use with the homie on the block, right? It's not the exact transfer of argumentation. So what you need is kind of a, a, a theology, a grassroots apologetic. And mm -hmm. that's what this book kind of gives. It gives some historical backgrounds. And again, this is a book that is a, is a limited resource. There's other resources that kind of press deeper into it. But I think it's, it's really a helpful apologetic on two different fronts. The first front is that it's a helpful apologetic for our majority cultural brethren who would say that Christianity is primarily a Eurocentric religion, or or to those people who would say it's just Eurocentric, right? Uh, the Christian faith, it's a white man's religion, so to speak. But then it's also, I believe, an apologetic towards this kind of postmodernism, this kind of secularism that has creeped into the black community at large and the black church community in particular, which denies the spiritual elements and supernatural elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's it's this combination of this you know formal theological apologia of the faith and this grassroots contending that speaks to the felt needs of the people through the timeless lens, timeless lens of the gospel. And so when you're talking about it, you're talking about representation. It talks about blackness. It talks about uh, systemic oppression. It talks about justice, but it also talks about a defense of the faith. So. As we know, we are supposed to sanctify Christ in our hearts and be prepared, be ready to give an offense to any, to give a defense and an answer to any man who is asking of the hope that lies within you. And so this book has actually made me crave my Bible. It's made me pull out my scriptures nice. and really dig down deep into the apologetics that are necessary to do ministry in my context. So don't get it twisted. I mean, Pastor Mike, we love apologetics, you know. We, we love we defending do. the faith. We evangelize. You know, I think sometimes people think what we talk about on our podcast is all we talk about. So I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. We love to evangelize. Yeah. We love to contend for the faith. We love to to talk about doctrine and sanctification and 
justification and super lapsarianism and all that. That's Jamar because he's, you know, the MDiv guy. No, but, man, no, look. You know, I like to dibble dabble in that too. But I'm just saying, that's not all we talk about. <laughs> Justice. But you know, shout out to Jude 3 Project um, and yes, their Lisa work. Fields, you know? Yes, yes. They're doing some phenomenal work on black apologetics. And so, as you've said before, Tyler, you know, everybody, everybody's got their role on, role on the team. Everybody's plays their position. And so we deal much more with just sort of broader cultural trends and issues of race in the church. They're going hard after apologetics in uh, African and black contexts. And so uh, shout out to Jude 3 Project for some great work they're doing there. And hopefully we'll get some folks uh, from there on on the show soon as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to throw that out there, man. This is a great kind of, you know, down to earth layman's resource that'll help you answer some questions, but then also provoke some some good thought and make you go to your Bible and, and read some things, man. Go to your history book, too. Jamar, what you got next? Man, I don't know how to say this, but I mean, without like like just sounding selfish, but... Okay, here we go, here we go. I had a tremendous month of traveling and speaking to some very different crowds in different places. And so I was on the road literally for about half this month. And, you okay. know, it was... Where'd hard. you go? I went first to Dort College, D-O-R-D-T, in Northwest Iowa. Now, for folks okay. who don't know, yeah, yeah, it's it comes out of the Dutch Reform tradition, but but you know, the state of Iowa is one of the top ten whitest states in the union, and so it was an interesting. Mm-hmm dynamic to go up there and talk about race and racial reconciliation when quite honestly it ain't no black people even in the state i mean ain't but ain't, ain't but a handful you can fit them all on you know one one uh plane ride or something now one football team i was football team That's what it is. exactly so so you know I encourage folks to preach the multi-ethnic gospel, A, because it's in the Bible. And if you're going to preach the Bible, you've got to preach about God's vision for the nations. And then number two, the nations are still coming to us. And so there may not be many African-Americans in Iowa, but the Latino population is growing. There's an immigrant mm-hmm. population as well. And so they're coming there in small numbers, but but present. And then thirdly, you want your people to be able to go out. So not everybody's going to stay at Dort College or in Northwest Iowa for their whole lives. Are they going to have grown up and gone to your church and heard about diversity in the church? Or are they going to have to leave and hear about it for the first time? And so that's a word to all pastors and church leaders and people who have uh, preaching or teaching responsibilities. It doesn't matter how much or little diversity that you have in the church. You still preach that multi-ethnic gospel and, and, and the message, the good news going out to people of all nations. Uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. Man, that's awesome. So you went to Door College? Yes. Where else did you go? And then, complete opposite, I went to Charleston, South Carolina for an organization called One Charleston. Um, shout out to Philip Pinckney there for, for bringing me out, man. And What's I, up, fella? Friend of the show, man. What's <laughs> very up? good. Yes, man. Great brother. Oh, yeah. By by the way, at Dort, so I just want to say what I, what I talked about. At Dort, we talked about politics. It was called Red and Blue and Black mm-hmm. and White. 
untangling race, religion, and politics in America. And so okay, that so was really fun. light. So it was a really light, journey. really light. You know, Chill you just topic. you rolled race, religion, and politics all into one. So easy, easy talk. And then in Charleston, um, I talked about the 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 name of one of my presentations was the fierce urgency of now, Christian complicity with racism, and the imperative for urgent action. Oh, um, bro! Hey, come on, brother! I was excited. That sounds like some. That sounds like some Dr. King. Why we can't wait? Well, the the, the fierce urgency of now comes from uh, King's "I Have a Dream" speech, and so I opened by playing just like ninety seconds of that speech where he mentions that, and 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 this has really stuck with me uh, throughout the past year or so as I'm studying history. Is that Christian? There's hardly a time in U.S. history when Christianity hasn't been somehow associated with the perpetuation of slavery, segregation, or racism in different ways. And and when you realize how deep and how long that connection is, it, it sort of ups the urgency of the call for change and reform. And so that's what I was pressing into there. And then Lastly, like I said, it's hard to talk about this, but 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 lastly, I got to go to Princeton University, which was an absolute treat. This boy flexing. This boy flexing on this podcast. No, bro. man, look, look, it was just a blessed time to be there. And, and I got wow. to talk with uh, Dr. Eric Gregory, who's a scholar there. I went I went right by. It was so funny because we did a podcast recently on In the, Is the Black Church Dead? Playing off of Dr. Eddie Glaude's article. And and, yeah, and exactly. Yeah, Dr. Glaude's up at Princeton. I didn't see him, but I, I walked by his building. We should have got an interview. See, we should have got an interview. We should have brought him on past some Man, I don't have a juice. I don't have a juice. But if anybody's got connections with Dr. Glaude, we'd love to talk to him. Um we'd love to, absolutely. What struck me about that though, man, is there is just a strong Christian presence on the campus. And the way the media would have you believe it's like, you know, coastal elites and these Ivy Leagues, they're all secular, ain't no believers there. Man, that is a fallacy because there was there was a there was a squad up there and I loved engaging with the students. It's so encouraging that these incredibly oh man, I met this dude. A uh, black dude from Miami. He enrolled at 19 years old in the doctoral program in what? molecular biology. Yeah, bro. <laughs> look, look. You um, when I say smart, I mean this dude is 21 now in his third year of a molecular biology PhD. It was crazy. I was like, oh. <laughs> level, man. yeah, man, yeah. So, so, so the opportunity to go around the country, man, and I talk about ran and 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 pass the mic all the time we got listeners coast to coast it's so encouraging so i appreciated that opportunity man that's awesome man i'm really glad that you had the opportunity to share the gospel in that form okay so i only have one more one more and it's a movie it's nothing serious but it is kind of serious okay but i got one after that so if if you want to end on if you want to end on a light note let me go first and then you can do something else Nah, mine's not serious. Mine's not serious. I know, I know. Okay, go for it. Okay, so so it's not hidden figures. It's not fences. It's not moonlight. Uh, what? Wait a minute. It's the movie Get Out. Oh. From the twisted mind of Jordan Peele. <laughs> Listen, man. Okay, so this you know, disclaimer, I gotta say for the for the liberties, okay. Um there there is some some cursing in this movie and some violence. No sexuality. So if you can get over that, if you have the liberty to um, get see past that and see the point of the film, it is a great 
film to see. Now, this is one of those films that got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, like I was saying, it was, um, which is a big deal, by the way. That's very, yes, very, very rare. Very rare. And it is by Jordan Peele. It was written, produced, and directed by him. And he is one half of the <laughs> recently legendary comic duo, Key and Peele, Key and Peele. Um, from the Comedy Central show. So you might have seen a lot of their sketches. But Jordan Peele writes this phenomenal film, <laughs> this terrifying film, this hor- horrifying film about an interracial couple, a black man and a white woman. And the black man drives up to uh, the his girlfriend's parents' house, and they spend the weekend there. And it is a tumultuous, crazy, insane, <laughs> nuts weekend. Nothing is as it seems. Now, I was really interested in seeing this film, and we took a whole gang of people to go see it because oh, I didn't want nice. to be scared alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> nah, it's actually my wife didn't want to be scared alone. But so yeah, yeah, we took yeah. a gang of people. And I had high hopes for this film, and this film eclipsed all of them. Wow. It is absolutely phenomenal. I don't want to give away any spoilers. It is so fraught with tension, but it's also fraught with so many underlying currents, underlying messages that are absolutely spot on as it relates to existing within a black body in the American society. And- And it is a brilliant polemic, by the way, of white liberal racism, (laughs) which again, we'll get into that. One day, we're going to talk about it. Full spoilers, we'll talk about it. Maybe Bo will come on and talk about it. But (laughs) this is brilliant polemic of white liberal racism and this idea that only one side, this kind of nonchalant racism and, and, and racialized narrative that continues throughout. So it is not just about this conservative family it is a liberal family so just throwing that out there and it is very very interesting and so you have to go see it it's a thriller it's not really a horror movie it's got some jump scares it is definitely a a bona fide thriller but if you can get past some of the content it is phenomenal it's one of the best movies i've seen in the past few years and it's spot on. It is spot well, on. You know, it has a horrifying tale of of identifying what it's like to be in a black body in America. Well, we can do like a whole episode on Key and Peel and some of their skits. They are incredibly insightful brothers who who, you know, sometimes satire and comedy can get the point across, can make a social commentary more insightfully than than like a full serious book or anything. And they're able yeah. to pull it off well. So so that's right up his Alley, but I was watching and 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 folks who are interested before you go to the movie, I was watching a whole bunch of interviews where Jordan Peele was talking about the movie and sort of his idea behind it. And so he wanted to do a cultural commentary, but he didn't want it to just be like sketch comedy, what he's used to. And he's a big he he loves the 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 genre of thriller films. So so he he said, well, what can we do? And and actually, he was talking about how similar horror and comedy are in terms of trying to get an audience audience reaction. So it was real fun to hear the artist talk about his work. And I am not a horror movie fan at all, but I'm gonna make an exception for this one. Oh, you got to see! It's not like it's not the supernaturalist horror film that you're used to, but it is still terrifying. And, I, and I'll say this. I'm still thinking about the creepiness and the unsettling nature of some of these scenes 
Look, and it's been days since I'm still thinking. Just the trailer, still, man. Just the trailer where oh. he's sitting in the chair and the tears spill out. I'm like, man, it must have been intense. Oh, it gets it gets even worse. It's crazy. It is, but it it is a brilliant satirical jab at this kind of casual racialization that takes place even in enlightened circles. And and I know that might not have been the sole point, but it is the point I keep harping on. Because so much of our narrative about race in America is on red and blue, left and right. And I'm telling you, it is not, it's, it's, that's not the case. <laughs> there are that's equal opportunity offenders on, on both sides. That's just something that I felt that was very refreshing about it. And, and a host of other things that we'll talk about um, in one of our future segments. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. So mine is, is um, man, it's kind of, it's kind of heavy. Um, if you really think about the implications. So February 26th was the day in 2012 when Trayvon Martin was killed. And so February 26, 2017 marks the five-year anniversary of his death. And I mentioned before, so so there's all the implications of the, the case itself, right? So if, if you recall, this is down in Sanford, Florida. Trayvon Martin is visiting his father's fiance uh, in a gated community, and he's walking back from a convenience store, and he's got Skittles and an iced tea, iced drink in his hand. Um, there's a call by a, a an off-duty neighborhood watchman named George Zimmerman. There's a 911 call, and he said, this guy looks suspicious. He's, he's wearing a hoodie. Um, and he's, he's black and, and, and Zimmer makes all these comments like these guys always get away at, at, at some point he gets out and starts walking and pursuing Trayvon Martin and, and the, the, the officer on the 911 call says, you don't have to do that. Well, apparently he, he doesn't listen. There's, there's an altercation and Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman are the only witnesses, but Zimmerman is the only one who survives. Trayvon Martin is shot in the chest, in the heart, and dies. And so this thing goes to trial. And of course, every everyone is, the country's divided. You remember this. The country's divided along racial lines. Was this a case of racial profiling that this young black man who wasn't doing anything wrong other than being in, uh, it, really it was a multi-ethnic community, um, yeah. but, but, but looking suspicious to this man uh, was, was his crime. And he ends up dead. And then, of course, there are other folks who said, well, it was self-defense or we don't have all the details. And it just kind of highlighted the racial divide. Well, I bring this up because um, the the aftermath of Trayvon Martin's death, it, it, we're still feeling the effects today. So it was July 13th, I believe, 2013, when Zimmerman was acquitted. And it was that night that someone got on Facebook and wrote a, basically a love letter to black people, is what she called it. And her name was Alicia Garza, a community activist and writer. And she wrote an impassioned defense of black people and their dignity. And the last line of that said, black people, I love you. I love us. Our lives matter. Then her friend, another community or organizer, Patrice Colors, she shared the post and she used the hashtag, Black Lives Matter. Yep. 
That's and, when it started. Yep. And they brought in their friend Opal Tometi and, and they started the Black Lives Matter organization. And then, you know, uh, the next year, um, uh, Ferguson happened and Mike Brown was killed um, under, you know, confusing circumstances. And that's mm-hmm. when sort of this, this movement for black lives really gained national attention and has been a force ever since. And conversations about are we in the next wave of the civil rights movement? But all of that, man... And I'll never forget the president saying, you know, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon. I'll never forget feeling so powerless, so helpless, um, so under scrutiny as a black man in America. And so it was just an important moment to remember that five years and this young man who was 17 at the time, just had turned 17, not long Mm -hmm. before he was killed. uh, He's remembered more like Emmett Till remembered more for his death than his life. But hopefully as we struggle for justice, something good can come out of that. Yeah. It's a painful memory for a lot of different reasons. And I'll tell you personally, it's a painful memory because the situation that really woke me up to the systemic nature of problems within this world, I was already kind of teetering down that path, but the situation that really woke me up, and kind of tripped me into it because of kind of the vitriol that I received um, when I posted about it was the Mike Brown situation in Ferguson. But I was still asleep during Trayvon Martin, man. Still asleep. And I look back on that situation now in in shame. Um, Much of it was the history I was not made aware of. Much of it was my own sort of selfish, prideful exceptionalism and ego coming to the light. Um, much of it was this idea that we were part of the the elite <laughs> mm. and that others within the, the black community were not. And mm. and I look back on that time with shame and embarrassment, but man, it, it is an enduring legacy of what Trayvon Martin represents to the black community and what he represents to our nation as this corrective, the, the start of a, a tidal wave of hashtags of young black men and also women as well, whose whose lives have been taken and there have been no justice, whether by the state or by regular ordinary citizens, and there has not been justice done for them. And that was the origin of the Black Lives Matter movement. And beyond the organization or what you feel about that, I mean, Jamar has some phenomenal resources that kind of talk through that. But beyond the organization, the sentiment of of yeah. mattering, of yeah. being visible, of having an image of God that is worthy of being dignified, that is worthy of of recognition, that is worthy of of being treated as though you have the sanctity of human life. That is an enduring legacy. And we look back on that. And even to this day, people feel the pain of the Trayvon Martin situation. And I feel the pain of the Trayvon Martin situation and countless other situations that have almost made us numb to the pain. But you know, the justice of God will have its day. And we believe that we are, in many ways, the carriers and the pushers of the justice of God. We are the people who are defending life from womb to tomb. We are the people who are standing up against the injustice that is is seeped into the systems of our, of our country and of our world and has been for centuries. And so it is appropriate for you to remind us of that situation and that we would never forget uh, his life and and many other lives that were taken from us too soon. Well, the the message, the most recent message I gave 
was called Be Strong and Courageous, Leadership Lessons from the Life of Joshua. And we looked at Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9. And in those verses, Yahweh speaking to Joshua as he's about to take over after Moses dies and and lead the Israelites into the promised land across the Jordan and, and take the promised land. He says three times in that passage, be strong and courageous. And I think that is a word for us today as we look at situations of injustice in the world. Christians, it is time to act and it's time to be vocal about it and public about it. If not now, then when? And if not now, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a bigger tragedy? Are you waiting for a bigger disaster? Are you waiting for more pain? Are you waiting for it to be safer for you or more comfortable? Are you waiting for more knowledge? All I can say is the the the, the time is always right to do right. And that time is now. And a lot of times what holds us back is fear. It could be fear of losing a pulpit, fear of losing uh, donations and supporters, fear of, of losing friends or, or reputation. But, but God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. I think he says the same to us, be strong and courageous. And he attaches a promise to it. He attaches a promise that, that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And, and he gives us that same promise that he'll never leave us. Yeah. He'll never forsake us. He promises his presence. And that presence became a person in the form of Jesus Christ. And so that when we believe in him, we know Emmanuel, God with us and God in us through the Holy Spirit. And so what it, he who is for us is greater than, than, than if he is for us, who can be against us? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. In the world. And yes, so sir. be strong and courageous for justice. Man, that's a good word, brother. Amen, brother. Amen. Bringing it back to the gospel as it always should be, man. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of Pastor Mike. What is getting you through 2017? We want to hear from you. Tweet at us. I'm at Burns23, at Jamar Tisby. Our show handle is at underscore Pastor Mike. You can also follow us on Twitter there. You can also uh, like us on Facebook uh, at Rand Network. That is the uh, overall page for our website. And then you can also join the private Pastor Mike Facebook group as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and on the Satchel app as well. Rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. Be sure to share it with your friends. Get it out there to the people. That really, really helps us out. And that's all we have, man. We hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. And we'll see you soon on the next Pass, Pass the, the Mic. mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.